0: I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. The show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error we see what works discard what doesn't and if we're lucky we'll have a few good mentors along the way in this podcast we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions in this week's episode of negotiation in real life i speak with lawyer theo capodistrius Theo is a multi-award winning lawyer, having worked exclusively as an in-house counsel throughout his legal career. Theo is the inaugural general counsel for UpGuard and previously was a lawyer at the University of Tasmania. In addition, Theo is a non-executive director of both Business Events Tasmania and the Association of Corporate Counsel Australia. He is also the Tasmanian Divisional President of ACC Australia. Theo has also taken on the role as Executive Director and Licensee of TEDx Hobart, and he runs a business as a keynote speaker, trainer and advisor, assisting individuals to simplify their communications to amplify their message. In this episode, we discuss the importance of preparation in a negotiation. We discuss Theo's learnings from being pushed into negotiations without sufficient preparation. We talk about dealing with power differences, resources for building your negotiation skills, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. So welcome to the show, Theo.
1: Thanks, Nicole. It's great to be here.
0: It's lovely to have you. And I know you've had some really interesting experiences negotiating both as a lawyer in a firm, an in-house counsel, and you also have a whole range of other different roles that you take on various committees and things, which I'm sure have had some interesting negotiations as well. Before we get in and start talking about some of those experiences, I wonder if you'd like to just give our listeners a bit of an overview of who you are and what you do.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Nicole. I will. Yeah. So I began my legal career as a lawyer at the University of Tasmania and I was there for about six years Uh, and that was a pretty amazing experience where I got to to do all sorts of fun interesting and bizarre things um, as a as a lawyer so that was that was pretty amazing Um, after that I kicked off my uh, career as the sole legal officer or general counsel really for a company called UpGuard and I was there for about 14 months until I made the decision to resign, uh, to give myself a break. Um, And now I'm just excited for the next thing. In addition to that though, I'm a keynote speaker, trainer and advisor running my own little business. But in addition to that as well, I am on the board of the Association of Corporate Counsel Australia. So the in-house lawyers network and I'm the individual president and run a few other committees as part of ACC Australia. And I've recently been appointed as a director of Business Events Tasmania, which is the Convention Bureau bringing corporate events to the state of Tasmania to help boost the economy. So a few things, Nicole, a few things uh, in my time.
0: And I know you're also involved with TEDx down in Hobart as well, aren't you?
1: I am. I I forgot about that one. I I'm the the executive director of TEDx Hobart. So I'm I'm organising the TEDx event down here, which is pretty awesome. It's been the first TEDx in about seven or eight years, and I'm really glad to be bringing it back.
0: Fantastic. I think that'll be a great event. Well, look, I know we talked a little bit before the show about some of your negotiation challenges that have come up along the way, and you've talked about how you've discovered the importance of preparation. And I wonder if you could talk through some of the examples that have shown you how important preparation is in your negotiations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think with any negotiation, you're only as good as how you prepare, unfortunately. I do some negotiation training for students and it's something I run it as part of my business as well for any corporates that might need some you know, really basic guidance for negotiation. And that is without preparation, you're kind of screwed because you need to understand what's important to your client in the situation if you're a lawyer representing someone but also having a think about what's going to be important to the other person to things for to concede on and you know the best way to really meet that middle ground for it to actually be a negotiation so um, the the story that I'm thinking of is one situation where I was a lawyer for the uni at the time representing an academic client who'd received a significant amount of government funding for a renewable energy project you know I'd looked at the uh, funding agreement and I provided some internal advice to my you know I guess client business partner and I said look you know there's a few things that are going to be a problem and we need to like take this to you know the government to let them know you know these are the things that you know aren't going to be acceptable from our end and the government had the opportunity to review it and they wanted like into a discussion about it. But I hadn't looked at it for you know a couple of weeks at this point. So I couldn't remember everything. Then you know my client burst into my office because she was in the area and she said, Theo, in 10 minutes, I'm about to jump on a call with the feds. Why don't you come along? You can have a chat. I thought, oh, okay, well, what are we talking about? She's like, Oh, it's just gonna be a nice little chat. Don't worry it's gonna be so much fun. Like, okay, I mean, I'll come along. Let's go. So I get in there and then it's, it's a virtual meeting. And, you know, this was, you know, f- a few years ago, so kind of unusual.
0: Zoom was still not a big thing back then.
1: Not a thing. You no, know? and at the time we were using Skype. That was, a, you know, a whole other world. So, yeah, the, we, we Skyped these people in. One was the general counsel and the other was their senior legal counsel. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. I'm a, I've been practicing for, you know, a few years at this point. So not sure what's going to happen here. and basically they wanted to do like a a read through of my amendments to the contract. And I thought, Oh no, like, I don't feel like I'm going to be fully prepared for the entire thing. And, you know, I was getting thrown questions like, why do you think this change is relevant? Why is this important? Why do you need it? And I, you know, I I was able to speak on each point, but not in the best way that I could. I I obviously understood the reasoning, but not having, done the work and not even remembering some of the changes I've made put me in a really not, not a great position and not a great position for the university at the time either. Would,
0: would it be fair to say that in a case like that although as you said you, you understood the reasoning but because of the lack of preparation you weren't, weren't able to convey your perspective as confidently and cleanly as would have been better in, in convincing them?
1: Yeah exactly exactly. Yeah, because I understood it, obviously. I I knew the changes I made and the reasons why, but because I hadn't had the opportunity to prepare, I wasn't able to really articulate and think about why I needed those changes and why they were important to us. And because then I had the client there saying, oh, do we need that? Like, ooh, like you now saying that actually minimizes what I am trying to do for you and what's going to be benefiting you. Like it was a lot of money. So she just wanted it done and dusted. Like let's just all chat and get it done. But getting the money is one thing, but getting the rights for us to do what we need to do. Um, you know, there are a few things we're looking at, such as IP, um, publication. And for an academic client, that's really important. So for her to say, oh, do we need that thing? That Yeah, you need that thing. Or otherwise you can't publish any of your work. And that's really bad for you. Or you can publish it, but it has to have, you know, this, that, the other on it. So being able to, you know, really think about why we wanted stuff done, why we needed this change and being prepared to articulate that in a way was critical, but we didn't have that opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because what I'm imagining happening here is that because you've been dragged into it so quickly, there's a fair amount of stress that starts getting produced in the brain. And, you know, one of the things we know about stress is you increase your levels of cortisol and adrenaline so that you actually shut down the the really good, logical, rational thought parts of your brain. So even though you're there, it's not possible to work at peak performance when you are under stress, where you've been put in a situation like that.
1: That's it. Exactly. And and then I guess that, you know, there was a bit of a power imbalance as well. So I was but one person. With you know my client there, which is great, and then in the room as well, we had someone from the other side who was hanging out. Um, but then, in addition to that, you know, I was against two quite senior lawyers, like the GC, like the head of the a federal government department, and then a senior legal counsel. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's intimidating.
0: Well, and and I was going to ask, being put into that situation, because one of the questions that comes up a lot for me when I'm training junior lawyers is how to deal with this sort of situation, you know, whether you knew it at the time or whether you've learned it since, what would your advice be? And what have you used to try and redress those imbalances when they've popped up?
1: I mean, for a situation like this one, if I, I guess, had more of an opportunity and knew what was going on, I could have pushed back to say, look, I don't think we're actually ready for a conversation today. Are we able to reschedule? And that leads me to another sort of situation where I had negotiated or made some amendments to a contract um, in the academic space, once again, send it off to the client and they were being represented by a law firm. And the law firm just called me up and said, hi, we want to talk about this right now. I said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not free right now. Um, if you'd like to make an appointment, then why don't we um, schedule a time? So that gives you the opportunity to, you know, have you know the opportunity to talk to me and then I'm, I'm going to be ready to actually talk to you. Um, and I have a few times with that, that particular client. It was a partner at a law firm. Um, and they just said, look, yeah, we're, we're representing um, this agency. We understand you're representing the university and we want to talk to you right now. I'm like, well, that's great. But I'm not. I, I'm actually about to jump into another meeting, so I don't have time. Mm. so having the opportunity to push back and schedule it to an appropriate time where you're both comfortable rather than it being convenient for one party and not the other yeah there's an imbalance there i mean something else that could have been done is if i really wanted you know to level things out bring someone else in so Mm. then there's two people against two people but you know i'm i'm pretty comfortable by myself and i didn't need anyone else to support me in that I just needed the time to figure out what are we actually asking for here what are we doing so for me the greatest thing would have been time so if I had more time it would just would have been ideal
0: yeah I think that's the the thing and I think having the courage to actually do what you've done in those subsequent cases and say it's not a good time now I'm not available whether you have a legitimate reason that you are busy or even if you're not busy and you could do it it's still a good idea to buy that time. The one thing I'd add, though, is it's actually a really good thing to ask them if they've got any specific concerns that they want to address when they meet with you so that you can really improve the quality of your preparation and make sure you've covered those. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people miss. It's easy to reschedule, but to actually go, give me a bit of guidance as to where I'm focusing can be quite helpful. Once again, if it's being used as an intimidation technique, you can just diffuse it really easily by pushing back and seeing what they say.
1: Mm, absolutely. It's it's really just about that agenda setting. Mm. So why why are we actually meeting? What do you want to talk about? Because we don't need to talk about anything. You could just make further amendments and add comments to the document. But by calling me, you clearly want to talk about something. So what is it? Even well, just-
0: and this is an interesting thing too, because I find lawyers particularly do a lot of their negotiation back and forth on the papers. Yeah. I find that that's perhaps not the most efficient way of doing things because there's very little discussion around interest and it's a very yes no type of negotiation so I actually really love it that a lawyer will actually pick up the phone and call and say can we actually talk this through because I think it's a more efficient way for the client to get an outcome and you know you're an in-house counsel in this situation so it's not costing your client per se Mm. depending on how your department bills itself but certainly for the client on the other side they're probably paying hourly Rates for these people, and it really surprises me sometimes how much time is taken going backwards and forwards on emails, which take quite some time to craft to convey your message very easily, um, rather than just picking up the phone and having a conversation.
1: I agree. Like, I love being able to have a like a meeting to discuss things because you can get through it quicker, and then you get to understand the motivations behind it. So you could say, "Oh no, like to me that's unacceptable," but then when you hear the other side to say, well, we actually really need that because it's a you know federal government requirement. it's um, a protection here. It's because of the you get a full picture, you get the full picture, which is really important. Yeah. So yeah, being able to just have a conversation about it, pick up the phone or jump on a zoom is great. But yeah, often often it's about scheduling it in though and being clear about why you're meeting. So once you get those steps in place, it makes it much easier.
0: Absolutely. And I think as you said, the agenda is a piece that's often missing, not just from negotiation meetings but from a whole lot of other meetings.
1: And bring me.
0: That's a whole different um, topic of conversation. I know one of the other things that you've talked about and, you know, one of the common challenges that comes up for people is where you get somebody who's really stubborn or either doesn't engage in the negotiation or just refuses to budge. And I often say I've had cases in the past where I come back and I say, oh, my God, there's this giant bruise on my forehead from where I've been banging my head on the brick wall. What experiences have you had with that and how have you manoeuvred around those sort of situations?
1: But one that comes to mind is that my most recent role, we were negotiating, and this has been going on for before I'd even started with the company. So it had been going for several months, uh, and then I got brought in to kind of close it out. like just settle it, just deal with it. And I thought, yeah, we can do that, easy. So I went through the agreement again, made some amendments, uh, and then we sent it back and then said, look, we would love the opportunity to have a conversation about this, just so we can finalize, get all the sort of outstanding issues sorted, and then we can move on and hopefully we can work together, which is what the intended goal is. So the company I used to work for was a cybersecurity software company, and the client was about to purchase it. So they're a really large international company. So they re- they requested that we use their paper, which was giant. I think it was 200 pages.
0: Were they American by any chance?
1: They were American. Very <laughs> American. So a lot of capitals, a lot of like one sentences in capital letters. It was and, just, and
0: not much white space on the page.
1: No, none, none at all. Uh, it was amazing. So I, I was pretty fortunate that prior to me looking at it, our external counsel was playing around with it. and But then when I started with the company as their first in-house lawyer, they said, you deal with it. And I said, great, love this, did my thing. So we... Send the agreement back. I provided like a bit of context as to some of the outstanding issues and why they were important to us. And then uh, we had a meeting, and the meeting was at 1 a.m. my time. So that was really fun. So a bit of a back foot for me because, you know, a bit tired, a bit sleepy Yeah, the circadian
0: rhythms aren't quite in the right spot for negotiating.
1: Not quite right, not quite right. I was there in my giant hoodie. Uh, sitting here at my home office desk, and I thought, "All right, here we go." Logged on. Uh, no one's camera was on. It was all just very weird. And then uh, the lawyer jumped on, and she said, "What is this? What are we doing?" I haven't looked at anything. I don't know. Like, okay, great. Hi, you know, I'm Theo. I'm here from, you know, we're here to discuss this software licensing arrangement. And I ran through what, you know, the issues and some of the outstanding points and why I made a change. And at every point, she would say, I'm going to stop you there. We can't accept that. We can't accept that. And we're not going to accept that.
0: But there was no why they couldn't accept it.
1: No, no. But then I'd ask the question, why not? What's what's stopping you from being able to accept this uh, amendment? We just can't. And that's it. So at every point, it was brick wall brick wall and it kept going and this went for an hour and a half and I thought oh okay this is so good I and then I it, it was just the most redundant conversation I'd ever had I felt pretty defeated because I didn't look particularly great as a lawyer because I wasn't able to get through the the, the brick wall of no she looked to her clients, it would have looked great because, you know...
0: She got everything she wanted.
1: Got everything she wanted, essentially. But...
0: So the interesting thing here, because, you know, once again, this comes down often to the power dynamics within the negotiation. And what I'm seeing here is you've got a large American company purchasing or getting licensing rights from what is presumably a very small player. How significant a transaction was this for them And were there other people that they could go to to get this same sort of service or product?
1: Well, that's right. So this is the funny thing. I couldn't believe how much time and effort they were putting into this because for them, this is small fish. Like this would be a drop in the ocean for the money that they as a company had. And, you know, they probably could have found a similar sort of product. The product we had was far superior what's out there in the market and suited their needs and they went through the procurement process. So it made sense for them to want to get it. Mm. But for us, you know, it was a a big deal. It was a big deal. Um,
0: And if you didn't get this deal, were there fairly negative consequences for the company?
1: uh, Negative in that they wouldn't have received the the, the money, which, you know, pretty important. And then I think the time and effort that had gone into actually trying to settle this. So it had been going on for months and months and then this is the time to close it. And we just needed to get it done. And then...
0: There's a few interesting things there because, I mean, one of the things is obviously, as I said, you know, the, the power in the negotiation often comes from what are your alternatives and how well do they meet your interests? And it might be that their alternatives were actually pretty good. If they didn't get this deal across the line, it wasn't going to hurt them very much. They might've been able to get it from somewhere else. Yes, they've got a few sunk costs as well, but no real incentive. If your client has you know, no real other prospect of getting a deal this size across the line, then their alternatives are fairly weak, uh, which means necessarily you're in a weaker bargaining point. Mm. Um, But interestingly, when you start talking about, you know, they invested all this time, I think it's still really important in those situations to remember that you do have an alternative and maybe rather than investing much more time on this particular deal, investing time finding a new deal that's more likely to meet your requirements and terms can actually be better. And I've I've had a number of situations where I've been coaching people in, in training courses and they've realized they've just been wasting their time because the power dynamics are such that the other company is not pressured to do what they need to get the deal on the table. Yeah. And they've gone, actually, we're better off just, you know, keeping them warm, just saying, look, maybe now's not the time to do the deal. So we'll keep that relationship nice and good, but we'll go off and actually spend our time and energy somewhere else. Yeah. Remembering that sunk costs are sunk is is a particularly important thing in negotiations, I think.
1: Mm. No, you're right. Yeah. I don't think people really consider it in that light. It's more, we need to get this now because this is a, you know, it's a lot of money. yeah. But- you know, you've got
0: to then go back and say, well, could we get the money elsewhere? And if you can't, then you've got to get it done. Um, But if you could, maybe it's a different deal.
1: Different deal. That's it. Exactly. But that was definitely, you know, one of the most challenging and interesting negotiations I've been part of. And, you know, I learned a lot from it. And I think collectively, uh, because I was with my internal clients at the time and, you know, we were able to chat about it after and everyone was on the same page of, of, wow, that was awful. And there wasn't anything anyone could have done about it.
0: It's the thing I always say, there's no magic wand for getting a great negotiation, but it's about getting the best you can in the circumstance. And, you know, if doing a deal with their terms without any of the changes that you would like to, is the best deal possible in the circumstances, that's still a win in a negotiation. Yeah. I'm interested because you said you you learned a lot from that and you debriefed and talked about it with with the rest of the team aside from the sort of on the job learning that makes up a large part of where people get their negotiation skills from have you had any formal training in negotiation and what was that like? Um, I've had a
1: bit of formal training actually Nicole uh, some training I had was with you and that was at the oh,
0: I forgot that you were at that session that's
1: right <laughs> so the 2019 ACC Australia in-house legal national conference I had the joy of being part of your negotiation training which was really cool. That was a lot of fun back in the day. Um, I also from way way back I, um, I competed at the Australian Law Students Association conferences. So I was the Tasmanian national uh, Tasmanian champion in negotiation in 2012 and 2013. Uh, so I represented the state uh, with competing partner as well and we you know did all of that which is which is fun so from that time I did my own learning on negotiation so from more of a sort of a theoretical perspective but also a practical one so what is the theory what like what what the books tell us but then practically what do you learn from that and how can you actually take this into the real world
0: so what I'm hearing there is you've done quite a bit of the self-study and being able to do that are there any particular resources that you'd recommend to others from your self-study
1: finding a couple of books is great one that i have I really loved is never never split the difference by Chris Voss so he's yeah that's a fun one that's just that puts negotiation in a very different light not you know the academic context but it's more a, hey this is the stuff I, I did as a hostage negotiator and these are the things that you know you can apply yeah um, into your I world. think there's
0: some uh, my, my view on Chris's book is that there's some great skills for the more distributive negotiation. If you've got a settlement conference and there's a fixed share of money and you're trying to get your claim, I think Chris has got some really great things. What, what he doesn't focus on as much as some of the other resources is about creating additional value in the negotiation. Yeah. And so that's where I think he's got some great techniques, but it's not as collaborative as, as some other things. His negotiations, if you think about where he's come from with hostages they tend to be one-time only negotiations yeah and i think that when you're negotiating with people who you will have long-term partnerships with or when you're thinking about your bigger picture negotiation reputation some of his techniques aren't necessarily going to achieve the same outcome but it's it's a really good book too
1: yeah that is a good one i guess other resources i'd recommend are i think it's the harvard program on negotiation they've got a range of free resources that you can grab I remember looking at a lot of that back in the day when I was preparing for the hours of stuff, but also as a lawyer, I'd just pick it up and read stuff. And I do a bit of training for people as well. It's one of the things that I do. My business is a very small portion though. I don't, I don't publicize it, but it's the skills I have, but I run training sessions for students every year. So-
0: which is great. I've judged in a number of the negotiation competitions for the universities, and so often the students are sent into competition with no training of what to do. Giving them some skills and a little bit of a workshop beforehand to say, look, if nothing else, here's here's your call foundations is a is a great thing well Thea I've had a really great time chatting with you this morning before we finish off is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with in terms of if they're interested in coming and having a chat how can they get hold of you and and who would be a good person for you to have a chat with
1: awesome thanks Nicole well one of the things I do in my business is I help people to demonstrate their value through their own voice and through their own words and I do that through helping People in the professional space, so think your lawyers, your accountants, financial services, real estate, I help you to simplify your communications to amplify your message. So you can find out about my speaking, training, or my advisor program, which is where I do one-on-one coaching with people on my website, theocamp.com.au. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Theo Capodistrius. You can find my Facebook like page, which is Theo Capodistrias, keynote speaker and consultant. But you can also find me on Instagram and uh, Clubhouse with the username at TheoCap88.
0: Great. And I'll put all of those details in the show notes as well in case people didn't catch those. So thanks again, Theo. It's been an absolute delight speaking to you.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Nicole. You too.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. If you've taken away some great tips from this episode, I'd love to hear about it, so please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, Negotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, watch presentations and download resource sheets. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application. Until the next episode, happy negotiating.